welcome back to the Mechanical Freak podcast, where we're recording live uh, on May Day in this, the heart of neoliberal America, Seattle, Washington, plus a little bit in Brooklyn, a little <laughs> bit, <laughs> one third Brooklyn. We have one third of our shares in Brooklyn. Munia, Greg, how are you guys doing today? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, doing good. Awesome. Well, of course, it is May Day, which means that we're here to talk NFL draft, baby. That's right. It's a sports episode. Everybody's it's the favorite episode for the season. Exactly. Uh, we're gonna have the latest, greatest draft analysis. We're gonna talk what teams do we think won the draft? Which teams do we think blew it in the draft? Uh, look, you know, the Carolina Panthers taking Bryce Young number one overall. I think we all saw that coming. But you know, what I want to talk about is that number two and three pick from Houston. Greg, I gotta get your take on this. CJ Stroud. I mean. He doesn't perform well under pressure, but he's the most accurate non-Bryce Young quarterback in the draft. Uh, But going to the Texans, they have no offensive line. Also, Greg, where do you stand on the Ohio State quarterback thing? Like, you know, everybody just says, you know, NFL quarterbacks just don't come out of Ohio State. Uh, How do you feel about this? Also, they're trading back up to the third spot to get uh, a defensive end. You know, uh, just let you give us your analysis right off the bat here. I'll care about this when I've come back in time. With a record of wins to bet on. <laughs> That's when I'll care. <laughs> well, you got your sports book, your sports almanac. Mm-hmm. Well, Greg, I'm going to give you some advice from the future. Uh, bet on the Houston Texans to lose. That has been a pretty safe bet for quite a while now. <laughs> so, why why uh, is it that um, in the third round, um, tons of fans are still there and they like, go ballistic when someone like drafts like an, someone who no one has ever heard of like are these guys like paid actors is this real <laughs> that you're never gonna see play let's be honest yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah no I went over to the local bar that's right next to my house that has redubbed itself a sports bar from its previous uh, sleazier angle that it had showing that gentrification has reached my neighborhood and um, some guy was this isn't like 3 p.m. and I'm just trying to drink my beer on the patio quietly and some guy insists on giving me his breakdown of the Seahawks day one draft picks and I was like I don't care oh come on I, Brian I, yes I you did you loved shit. every second of it come on <laughs> well I wanted to talk about the Texans so. <laughs> 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 like you listen here sir I'm gonna break down uh, CJ Stroud's PFF scores all right and I don't mean just his his basic score I'm talking under pressure scores you know <laughs> big time throw scores we gotta get into all this <laughs> all right but look hey we're not here obviously it's May Day. We're not going to talk NFL draft. Come on now. That's not what people came here for. Uh, what we're here to talk about on this, uh, what it, what's, what's it now? Loyalty Day? Under Dwight Eisenhower, it was Law Day, which I thought was funny. Um, That's cool. But yes, this, this May Day, uh, d- dubbed Loyalty Day by Joe Biden. Uh, what we're here to talk about is bank failures. That's what we actually give a shit about. Munya, uh, what's going on at First Republic Bank? And why can't I get, why does my ATM card not work anymore? Well, you might want to redeem those loyalty rewards points because (laughs) First Republic Bank is no more. That's right. A third bank failure at the stature of over $200 billion in assets. First Republic Bank, more assets than Silicon Valley Bank, may I say, um, has went under this Friday evening, essentially, and went into receivership on uh, 
Sunday by the FDIC. And lo and behold, uh, JP Morgan Chase uh, scooped up the bank and assumed all its assets. So uh, that marks basically, if you uh, compare 2008, the aggregate amount of bank failures in terms of assets versus the bank failures in 2008, while the amount of banks that failed were much higher in 2008, the scale of banks that have failed in total, um, we're just about even with the Great Recession at this point. Sweet. Uh, almost as if uh, post 2008, uh, the banks just merged together, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened. And, and now it's continuing to happen on a bigger scale in terms of not like the amount of uh, mergers that happen because there's only so many regional banks to swallow, right? But you know, the regional banks that held out are now at the size and scale where you would probably in 2008 consider them like the largest banks in the country, right? Yeah. Um, so... Those are the well, surviving ones, like, had to get very big, too. Well, and to, to give people an idea, the four largest bank failures uh, going back, you know, to just after the Great Depression, the four largest bank failures in the United States, number one, Seattle, still number one, Washington Mutual, right? Let's go. Back in 2008, right? So, the fifth largest so. bank in the country at the time. Yeah, I, I got to say, I was joking about deposits, but my deposits were in Washington Mutual <laughs> at that time. Um, but the number two is First Republic. Number three is Silicon Valley Bank. And number four is Signature, right? Or, which are the three banks that have failed in the last yeah. what month now. And, um, you know, uh, I guess watch this space. Good things coming. Uh, what, <laughs> what happened at, at First Republic? When you're like, why, why did it fail other than uh, loaning our show money? <laughs> well, I mean, that was part of it. I mean, you know, it's it's their, you know, the market fundamentals, you know, if you take the risk, you sometimes you'll get burned, right? And they took that risk. But. They didn't listen to our Thanksgiving episode where Greg explained uh, our financial <laughs> philosophy and acumen. It's called detail. negligent due diligence on their part. Um, it's really so, their fault, really. You know, it's their fault. <laughs> they should have known. We, we put our cards on the table very clearly, right? So, uh <laughs> no, but uh, First Republic actually suffered a pretty similar fate to what happened in Silicon Valley Bank, where um, after Silicon Valley Bank collapsed due to, you know, panic and withdrawals, um, First Republic as well really felt the pain of that, too. Um, First Republic is another tech friendly bank. Um, a lot of people, especially like, you know, VCs and founders on Twitter were saying after Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, um, they were all rallying to deposit their money into First Republic Bank. Uh, First Republic's uh, assets skyrocketed in 2008 and essentially doubled after the pandemic, similar to Silicon Valley Bank in a lot of ways. So um, there's a lot of similarities in terms of which markets um, these two are in, like which clients they serve, as well as um, you know the sheer amount of like deposits that they got in a quick amount of time. Um, which made them like a very big depositor bank. Um, and to do with all that money, right? Like they ultimately suffered uh, over a hundred billion dollars of withdrawals just in a couple months, uh, which almost any bank really just can't handle because banks don't carry one to one on cash. They invest that cash elsewhere um, into assets and those assets can easily be sold or have to be sold at a loss. So it is honestly, the story is very similar. Um, First Republic uh, was issuing a lot of jumbo mortgages too. Um, and, you know, the value of jumbo mortgages, like other fixed income, 
if you're issuing and you know originating it's like loans mortgage for a castle or something yeah yeah well you know it's mortgage for actually greg it's a mortgage for a den in new york city uh nine hundred thousand dollars basically it's like a jumbo mortgage so you know. it can get you approximately 72 square feet <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> um but yeah they they originated a lot of those loans and kept them on the books and you know when you keep those jumbo loans on the books as well as any fixed income, like long-term loan or sorry, long-term bonds. Um, the value, those actually have a price and value, even though they'll generate that interest. Like you can just write that out, but if you have to sell it, there is a, you know, real price calculation that goes into that. And you have to compare the interest that it bears versus what you can get for completely risk-free, AKA, uh, the government being able to print out money, the state being able to print money and just give it to you if they don't have it, right? Mm-hmm. Like no other institution can do that, right? Which it means that government bonds are completely risk-free. Well, when government bonds are over, you know, 5% right now, um, if for just like a six-month time span, uh, you know, and you can get that risk-free um, versus buying mortgages at 2%. That means that those are basically worthless if you try to sell them on the market, right? Because why, why even bother at that point if if you can if you can get the same thing for risk free for double the interest? Yeah. Um, so you know, if they were able to just like sit on those uh, mortgages, just like Silicon Valley Bank, if they were able to sit on those long term bonds, uh, they would be fine. But if they actually have to sell the asset, that means they actually record a really big loss and. Um, you know, they need the cash. So JP Morgan tried to rescue them. They bailed them out twice before um, they ultimately got uh, absorbed into JP Morgan. They first deposited $30 billion into the bank, um, just mm-hmm. like in cash. And they also extended a $74 billion line of credit as well. Um, but that's, so that's $100 billion in a bailout, basically, like from a bank. Its own credit card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. I mean, imagine the points on that, though. Holy shit! I mean, those, <laughs> <laughs> airline miles, the air miles. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially if you double it up. Especially if you get the platinum with like three X flights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. They use their uh, uh, Alaska Airlines uh, credit card for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so you know, they essentially got bailed out twice before they ultimately folded. Um, in mm-hmm. their recent earnings call. Um, which is always a good sign of like a healthy company. So their stock price was like hovering around about $146 uh, or so. It was like, I think, um, even a lot higher than that before. Um, But I remember seeing their stock tank from like in the hundreds to like 84. And like, that was like, wow, a 50% drop in like a day, you know, um, that's kind of scary. And then it dropped to 38. And then it went back up to 50, right? And it's like, oh, wow, it recovered because like Silicon Valley Bank, you know, folded and mm-hmm. they're still there. Well, um, their stock price now is at $3. Um, and now, oh, yeah. uh, um, now that they got into FDIC receivership, they're at zero. And, um, <laughs> and so in, during their earnings call, they uh, decided to take zero questions from any analysts uh, and wrapped <laughs> up the sign. call. Always a good sign. And wrapped up the call in nine minutes. Usually these calls last for like an <laughs> yes, hour. Yes, yes. So that yeah. just goes to show that, you know, I mean, if you ever want to witness like what it was like to see like just massive companies just completely collapse, like, um, if they suddenly just don't like take any questions at all and like mm-hmm. wrap up their call in nine minutes, like 
you if you own stock at all in that, you just too like late. sell the stock. Uh, yeah. It's too late. Yeah, too actually, late. yeah you know it's already what? done. It's Deal's been too done. Late. Yeah, they're like, basically doing the, uh, there's nothing to see here, which is why we won't be taking any questions yeah, since right. there's obviously nothing to answer. Everything's fine. So I don't know why you'd even question us in the first place. Like, <laughs> well, and, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, uh, the, the, yeah, the thing you pointed out, uh, yeah, the Wall Street Journal write up mentions that just like Silicon Valley Bank, they had a lot of large depositors who were deposited over the FDIC insured limit, right? Yeah. Uh, and as you point out, the, you know, sort of uh, very high rate of return on treasury bonds right now for even short term bonds and things like that meant that those people looking at the bank, if they were at all scared, would be like, yeah, get my fucking money out of there and into treasury bonds, right? Where it can be protected, right? And I can get mm-hmm. a higher return. Also, the the jumbo loans thing, I mean, it was a good question you asked, Greg, and I definitely know this and didn't have to just look it up on Google, but uh, those are just loans that exceed the limits set by the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which is just a loan too large for the government to essentially basically be like, yeah, get a, let's get in on that, right? Castle loans, loans yeah. for castles. Yeah, basically. like So nationally, the limit is currently 726000 although they do have... Uh, you know, designated high cost markets where it goes up to a million, which I'm going to guess the Bay Area is one of. Yeah, and I mean, like it's, it's Seattle, laughable probably. to say that. Yeah, in Seattle, yeah. I mean, maybe right. Like it's yeah, laughable oh yeah, to, sure. for seven hundred twenty six, you know, thousand dollars. Like that just doesn't sound like anything in like markets of the Bay Area in Seattle. So oh, yeah, yeah, it's just a funny perspective. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the thing is, is that you know anybody that was looking at this kind of stuff or looking at the balance sheets of First Republic. And had any idea, like once the interest rates started to go up, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, it collapsed because tech relied on zero, had relied on free money, zero percent money. Right. Um, you know, the same thing with luxury housing, like the the huge bubble in luxury housing is a product of, you know, having zero percent interest rates. And as the interest rates went up, I mean. If you're looking at that, I mean, some of the people pulling out who probably actually have some of these mortgages too, <laughs> were like, uh, you know, I wonder if some of them were getting a little nervous looking at that, like, man, I got to get out of here. But I think all of it goes to show that raising interest rates, I mean, a lot of the financial speculation, a lot of the boom industries, tech, real estate, et cetera, were, they really needed that free money. And raising interest rates is, is making things look very interesting, <laughs> you know, going forward. And uh, Jamie Dimon, at least according to the you know, Wall Street Journal, was was like very active trying to get this bank bailed out and all this kind of stuff. And ultimately, the federal government just gave it to him, uh, just like they did Washington Mutual. But uh, it's it's just a lot of interesting things coming together. Uh, maybe watch the bank collapse space <laughs> coming up here. <laughs> Which, I don't know, did you guys see that thing that uh, apparently somebody crank called uh, Jerome Powell, uh, the Fed chair, and was like, hey, it's me, uh, Zelensky from Ukraine. Uh, what's they're up? Live, live from Ukraine, they're doing like the... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, hey, man, what, what's going on over at the Federal Reserve? And he's like, oh, we're just going to keep raising interest rates. <laughs> Probably a recession coming soon. <laughs> like, why would he think Zelensky would ask him about that? And then why would he answer Holy it? Are all, are all pretty funny questions. Like, but, hey, Zelensky, uh, sure. Yeah, I saw you on the Grammys like last, last week. That was, that was cool. pretty cool, dude. I actually <laughs> see you on like Vanity Fair covers and stuff as well, man. Like you're, you're killing it out there. See you at the Met Gala. <laughs> Love to spill the incredibly like curated, manicured, carefully released Fed 
strategy on a call with the wild and crazy guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, you know, if we're to, if we're to take anything from that, it's that they're going to kind of keep their foot on the gas here uh, with interest rates. And, uh, you know, could be some some interesting things coming uh, down the road. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it's but- pretty astonishing that a Fed chair, um, you know, was interesting enough to actually pick up a phone. I mean, these people are so yeah. boring that I, I feel like like phones like don't even really exist. Like they communicate through like Fed minutes, you know, like to the, <laughs> the, the fact that they even like, you know, have the risk tolerance to even talk over the phone is hilarious to me. He, he talks through the DM chat function on his Bloomberg terminal. You know? Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah i mean uh you, one the, the thing that we talked about earlier video that uh you know less banks have collapsed than 2008 yet the value of them is already exceeding the total of the collapses from 2008 uh which shows the sort of level of uh you know combination mergers that happened at the time and of course this bank being given to jp morgan chase is just a furtherance of this merger fever right you know uh what's that what the old saying uh was that uh andrew mellon had during the great depression that in crises you know assets return to the rightful owners right yeah uh, <laughs> you know uh we're seeing gonna see a great merger uh sort of storm in the financial sector but it's gonna be brought on by it looks like increasing instability all good stuff you know yeah. well well i'm uh, bullish on jp morgan for that reason Amunia's yeah. money moves. They're uh, clearly the government's favorite for when it comes to <laughs> giving things to. You know? Dude, what <laughs> like, a big L to Bank of America. Like, imagine having uh, the name America in your name. Like, every single other country. <laughs> I think Richard Wolf made this point. Is that every single other country will be like the Bank of England, right? The Bank of mm. France, right? That's like their central bank. And the Bank of America, a private company, took that from, like, you know, the American state. Like... That that's that's hilarious, and yet mm. even though you basically have what should be what the Federal Reserve is called, and you like name that your mm. bank, and you're like you know the second largest bank in the world, um, you're you're not getting any of the deals, man. You're not making yeah, yeah. money moves, you know. Like what's it, up with that? It's kind you, of interesting. They low key fell off. You would uh, you would honestly think that Biden might accidentally give them something, right? Like you know, yeah. he's just he just sees their name and it's like, oh, I thought Andrew that got rid sense. of that. Think, you know, speaking of Andrew Jackson, he's like, I thought Andrew got rid of that. Like, oh, give them the bank, you know? Like, but, uh, but yeah, apparently not. Uh, yeah, uh, it's you know, it's interesting. I mean, obviously they're the favorite. I mean. I think it shows uh, which uh, large financial institutions have the state's ear, to be sure. Um, this but, clout yeah. shit is funny. <laughs> and <laughs> Jamie Dimon, the clout shark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, you know, maybe this this bank collapse, it's just another reason not to go downtown in San Francisco, you know, along with the, you know, the roving gangs of... Uh, tech uh tech entrepreneurs tech executives you might, you might stab you in your fucking car Murderous stuff, tech yeah. executives yeah and uh lee fong running around downtown with his the end is near sign you know uh lee yelling Fong's at like you. A, like approaching like a black person and is like so what do you think what do you have to say about your own community here like yeah. why is all your community homeless what do you think about that and then the intercept posted. it <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing a black person in the distance and then yelling, I was murdered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, look, uh, that's why we know we know that's why San Francisco's downtown is dying. Definitely no other reasons. Uh, but Seattle, it's it's downtown. It's it's also dying. I don't know if you guys have heard Seattle's oh, no, dying, no, no, guys. No, 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 guys. It's on the come up. What? Okay. What? What? Yeah, you guys didn't know. No, I mean, great. Do you have some useful, like some good information on this, Greg? Do you have like in, in a, a yeah, story? I, of course, I do. <laughs> uh, headline in the Stranger. The mayor promises to fill 20 vacant storefronts downtown. Oh, my God. Oh, my that's goodness. That's right. 20 storefronts. That's, that's right. Com, com, uh, commercial real estate is collapsing. Uh, interest rates are going up. Recession looms. Uh, the very fabric of the American economy and certainly city is changing. But... Uh, we're going to fill 20 storefronts with uh, some programs from the city. Uh, <laughs> this is like, look, there's nothing the city can do, man. There's nothing the city can do about <laughs> any of this shit. But certainly there's nothing. There's a real futility in which I think, and, you know, and Harold is the perfect guy to do it, to do this like, very surface level, like performative downtown revitalization in the face of, of structural material forces that are just vastly out of anyone's control. Mm-hmm. But they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, do you remember when, uh, oh man, I'm totally blanking on her name. She was running to represent Aberdeen, basically like Aberdeen and lower Tacoma. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And she was telling us about the mayor's plan in Aberdeen to like revitalize downtown Aberdeen and bring <laughs> tech and gentrification to Aberdeen. And it was just like, is no city immune from this, you know, just hopeless flailing, and uh, now that it's come to Seattle, we can answer. Uh, well, it's no, nobody's immune. It's been here all along. It never left yep. us. Like we've we've always been here, Brian. <laughs> like w- we, this is what being the caretaker of a city is, right? Like it's it's just choking down this bullshit as you go through these boom and bust cycles that like make people rich during the upswing piss people off on the downswing and leave the city less habitable for human life, you know? Yeah. And it depends, like, what the next swing will be. Will it be another death of the American city? Like, where (laughs) the tax base is just pulled out because of all commercial real estate collapsing, and then that just drives anybody with money out of the cities because there's no services and potholes start building up? And or, Or will it be another, you know, version of the same... Uh, cycle we've seen which is you know a recession followed by more gentrification of more corners that haven't been built up yet you know or like tearing down the first wave of gentrification from 20 30 years ago depending on where you were to build high rises in its place you know uh i don't know but like i I, you know i'd like to take you on a on a journey of uh really hopeless hopeless uh, futility here. So the pro, uh, subhead here, this is from Hannah Creek and the stranger, the program funnels thousands of city dollars into small business owners 
and their landlords. <laughs> Perfect. I love it already. I, I like that we're just highlighting who the real winner is going to be. Right yeah, off the bat. I mean, that is really the point of Kreese uh, <laughs> reporting here. Earlier this month, Mayor Bruce Harrell announced his plan to, quote, fill up, unquote, 20 vacant storefronts by early summer through the city-funded Seattle Restored Program. The goal amounts to one of many short-term, quote-unquote, activation strategies in the early phases of his, quote, downtown activation <laughs> plan, unquote, which he affectionately refers to as DAP. I love it. Uh, I, just right from the top, it's like, we're going to fill 20 vacant storefronts by early summer through a city-funded program. And, like, just think of what an economy that was working would would how it would react to that sentence it would ask <laughs> questions like why and what <laughs> and what storefronts it's like look this is a story about local government dollars being pooled into uh pro projects to change the economic landscape in this case the commercial real estate landscape mm -hmm. That's not something I'm against, certainly. But I think what we'll find is like it. it I, I don't know. I'm just very skeptical that this isn't my my instinct. Is that this is just very sort of sad and superficial and and mm -hmm. meaningless. You know, well, basically, so far it sounds like uh, looking at the bucket after all the water's run out and saying. We'll just put more water in the bucket, right? Yeah. And not investigating <laughs> why the water lasts. It is, and it, yes, it is exactly like that. This program gives a win to property owners. Oh, thank God. It's about time they got a win. I, I Property yeah. owners have been down too long in this country. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this is story. very well reported by uh, Hannah Krieg here. Yeah, she rocks. And then, and then we're going to get to the Seattle Times Ed Board's take on the whole thing. Um. A win to property owners who get a paycheck from the city for a unit that may have otherwise remained empty. <laughs> Plus a win for downtown visitors hungry for a cool soap shop or an art installation. <laughs> and it's it's so it's so perfect. I mean, she's so right, right? Like, oh yeah. It's like on the one hand, like, right, the city, the state, let's say, doing something to change the real estate landscape to use up unused capital that's sit real estate capital that's sitting around unproductively i'd be all in favor of that you know but it's like what's you know we'll we'll see we'll see what we think of what they come up with the uh, it's being characterized uh i'm some might say maligned as soap shops and art <laughs> installations here but we'll we'll see we'll see only time will tell whether the program will reliably produce small businesses that survive long term and serve the existing downtown community. So far, the city can point to one shining example of success and Seattle Restored. That's uh, again, this the name of this program expects more in the coming months. So that's that's a little foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Will any of these businesses last? A, a question has been asked. Uh, what is Seattle Restored? Seattle resident Sierra Jones just signed a two-year lease, making her the first Seattle Restored participant to continue her business after the program stopped funding her. Jones dreamed of opening up a community healing and event space for black and brown people. <laughs> 
or three years. But she the, said, the, the, the well, should, Ryan, you're laughing. Do you don't think black and brown people need a healing in event space? <laughs> Honestly, I think I think that's going to do it. I let's let's just put racism in some sort of past tense at this point, because uh, a community healing in event space. That's, you know, well, I, I don't think she's claiming to have solved <laughs> racism here. I think, you know, she's existing within it. OK, <laughs> That is is the most accurate and apt description of that, yes. (laughs) Look, I mean, look, look, look. Again, the state, like, entering into the market, disrupting, uh, circumventing the market to open up commercial real estate space for small businesses or community uh, useful, like, services and places that otherwise wouldn't exist, like a black and brown healing and community space, whatever that is. I say, just as a qu- asking a question, like that, that doesn't have to be a cynical, like sad grasp at, at straws, right? But because I know what world what country and my god what city i live in that is that's the only way i can read that i'm sorry like oh yeah i like it's this the, is it's all i've got this is that story i've told on the show multiple times about uh my mom is a social worker in new mexico going out to the reservation that had like 90 percent unemployment and had forever and the, what the government was like you know what these guys need a pool <laughs> like just gave him a pool. <laughs> it's like Perfect. you know, it's just so much hand waving about nothing, you know. Well, you know, I'm sure this small business person means well. I mean, if I was thinking about, you know, getting excited about a black and brown healing and community space in my neighborhood, I might uh, expect that it was to be a nonprofit, but uh, whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, I mean, she's selling something. Okay. That is until she found Seattle restored and got a free trial run for her business, which is called inside. Actually, we've got a handy little hyperlink here and I was looking at it earlier and, uh, I do not know what it is. So yeah, oh, should I check this out? Yeah, this is one of these like classic uh, business links where there's a fair amount of text, none of which explains anything that could really tell you what this is. No, but Brian, it definitely Brian. has a donation button at the bottom, which yep. I do enjoy. So yeah, that, uh, not just good. a donation button, but it takes up about sixty percent of the entire screen. <laughs> yeah, and then there's a separate like. Then uh, this is just on the about page, right? So they have a separate donate link too. So basically, you get more. <laughs> community growth and then a huge donation splash um so okay but but come on community a big calendar by the way currently empty <laughs> nice we but she's how i mean she's been there for long enough to now have like signed the for for a year right or something oh, um God. we oh, are here rules, to create dude. a space where being bipoc is celebrated for a fee evidently protected and elevated <laughs> This means Dude, that there's every- nothing on the calendar. Like I'm going through the months. There's like literally nothing there. This means that every offering product and partner we bring in to support you is intentionally selected to best serve you. Everything is done 
with the purpose of building community together, giving you a place to connect with others. Okay, guys, (laughs) guys, it's a, it's a, uh, subscription box in a brick and for, for BIPOC, uh, sensitive types (laughs) in a brick and mortar location. So the box of, of stuff that uplifts you as a random trinkets that uplifts you as a BIPOC person in Seattle doesn't come to your house. You go to the box. It's made of brick and mortar and you experience like, oh, what's on what's on the menu today? You know, we've curated these products for you to sell you or this like <laughs> this like tasting or like this black business is here, like showing Greg, you their wares. You know what that is? What? Um, you just became the black Adam Newman. <laughs> <laughs> You're really wow, feeling feel like, like the for black real. Adam Newman. <laughs> Uh, growth. We facilitate a number of events, workshops, and classes. Our community partners are therapists, healers, artists, and business professionals who are all committed to your growth and uplifting the community. Can I get like some some black sound healing at this place? <laughs> That's my job on the commune, actually. Like, <laughs> some people's job is like, yeah, I'm the professional sound healer. Um, like. Uh, yeah, I'm like, just gonna sit. God, I'm gonna man, sit outside like, the room and be like, "Sound healing was cooler 20 years ago." Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> again, again, I, I, they sold out, man. <laughs> in any in a context any better than the world that I live in, like you know, again, the state, the city, entering into the the market and and choosing winners, choosing things relevant to communities uh, in the neighborhood that are needed, and you know what? Yeah making those opportunities available to black and brown people uh, in neighborhoods in this city. That's uh, like, I would, I am all for that, but of course, because, because the, the roots of this are inherently futile, performative and cynical. It can only attract something vapid and stupid that, this has to be, I'm sorry. Like I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see any other way. Like, you know what, you know what I'd be a little more sympathetic to a, a black owned grocery store downtown, (laughs) right? Like something fucking useful to people living there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's basically like, Hey, uh, we're going to help you out by opening up a place where MLMs can target specifically the black community. Right. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. uh, yeah, which is all America can offer at this point. I mean, let's be serious. Yeah, no, that is something missing in the black community because they haven't been allowed into it. Mormonism. (laughs) (laughs) The sound that sounds like a new black Mormon religion is what that sounds like. Yeah. Oh my god. (sighs) Incredible. Great stuff. Sorry, lady. I'm sure I'm sure you're a nice fatty lady. I wish you well. She's perfectly fine. What she should have done, though, is taken all that money from the city. It basically said, I'm going to open up a pop up where if you if you show up and you're black, I'm just going to give you 50 bucks. <laughs> like, yeah, now that I'll just, hand, I'll just put cash in your hand. And that, that would, would honestly be, do more to that help. would be fucking based. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, she's charging what money if, for what the, if, for uh, the black what Reiki if, like... and black like uh, <laughs> fucking tarot or whatever. Yeah. 
There's like some people, there's like this like mutual aid person that I found on um Instagram who like kind of just like runs her own little fiefdom in a way where um she like basically wants to only raise money from black people to do mutual aid, which already I'm like, okay. Um, but it's like, she'll literally like reject like white donations. And then like, well, I, like she should have hit black America up before 2008. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah, no yeah shit, no. Right. And so raising money from only black people, but then like when distributing, she'll like determine if you're a biracial or not. And will deny you like mutual aid, yeah. which is like, okay. is like incredible. See, I like this just on the basis of how, how like obviously crazy this person is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like very transparently, like this person's having a ball. I'm sorry, like this person's just like just doing fadeaway swishes. I respect like how how fucking nuts that person sounds. Like an actual crazy person. Yeah, just like that person sounds like they'd be cool to hang out with. You know, yeah, so cool. Um, okay. Uh, wholeheartedly, this is a quote from Jones, who owns Inside. Wholeheartedly, Inside would not exist if it wasn't for the Seattle Restored program, Jones told, Jones told the stranger in an interview. Seattle Restored, a program run out of the Seattle Office of Economic Development, removes cost barriers for small business hopefuls and artists eager to display their work. The program asked property owners to pretty please lease their space for three months at a flat rate of $2,500, and the city will pick up the tab. The city please. also picks the commercial tenant a $2,500 stipend to pay for equipment, staffing, and other expenses associated with their business. After three months, Seattle Restored will pay the landlord an additional $1,000 a month in rent for up to six months, additional months, if the landlord and tenant agree to continue the arrangement. The program also offers classes and helps with marketing, according to program manager Andrea Porter. So, uh, point of order here. Point of order is the additional thousand months. You know, after the God, I, I Democrats rock. I love these plans. It definitely make them as complicated I, as possible. Is that mean they're paying thirty five hundred dollars a month? Because then the those additional is presumably six, picking up the. Yeah, is the tenant paying the twenty five hundred, and the city's now just giving a thousand? Or is the city paying thirty five hundred? I, I I think it's the first one. <laughs> I think it's the first one. Um, the outside of inside. Jones was one of the first business owners to launch with Seattle Restored in twenty twenty two. That year, the program selected thirty five lucky prospective business owners to open pop up shops and temporary art installations on the city's dime. So that's basically what we're talking about here. Yeah. And what I mean by performative is like the city does not work, right? Like real real estate has shot up for decades. It's pushed people out. It do, the whole downtown area does not function like a city anymore. And now commercial real estate is also taking a dive. People aren't coming into work. All that was downtown of the storefronts was like, servicing the lunchtime crowd from the from businesses in the towers right so like now that's like falling apart but all the city all the Harold, and this actually goes back to the Durkin administration this program like 
all they can imagine to do is like, well, let's just like visually get these shops filled. Doesn't matter with what. Doesn't matter if it's bullshit. Uh, just, just if if half the retail fronts downtown are just pop up art galleries, at least it looks like something. At least then we can say, look, it's not all vacant. It's not all boarded <laughs> up with four lease signs or don't bother signs in with you know like because. The economics of a city to these people are ultimately, as we know, fucking aesthetic. Yeah. You see poor people around. The problem is that you see them. You see empty lots. You see empty fucking storefronts. Well, the problem is there. you see them empty. Not that the system isn't working to make those useful, like, in a working city, in a working economy, like, or those would be filled, like. Don't ask the larger question here mm-hmm. of what you know is going on. Just just try and look like you're doing something. Look, and so you can say, we're gonna, oh, you know, after in months of trying, we're gonna finally maybe fill 20 vacant storefronts with some bullshit. Yeah, and I mean the, the choice of stuff too is what's important, right? Of like, you know, temporary art installations, right? Like we're gonna all put- you can get. Well, it also no one with a real business <laughs> that because the system isn't working, if someone had a real going concern that had like a real prospectus, they'd be in there. Mm. If that if this if this real estate made sense to them. So you have to go outside of that to people who have bullshit prospectuses without real like going concerns that are just stuff that needs space to be in that would be neat you know like that, an art gallery oh i think the, the pop-up art the gallery. other part of that is you know a big part of gentrification in the 80s and 90s was the creation of the artist's loft right yeah it was a way to get rid of old industrial buildings that were not considered valuable to finance and real estate right but to bring in not just anybody but a desirable population, right? It's a population that maybe is okay with something that's a little less than great or whatever. But at the same time, because of how the art market works in America, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, it signals wealthy people, right? Like, A, wealthy people to come buy the art, but also these are the children of the wealthy. Like, poor people are not professional artists in America, right? This is just rich people's kids, right? And I think this is, you're right, this is an aesthetic display, right, that they're trying to do. But they're trying to, without actually having to necessarily lure some of these people there, at least like try to like, no, 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 no. Th- this is vibrancy. This is the vibrancy you like, too, also. Not not the kind of vibrancy that comes from poor people, the kind of vibrancy that comes from the children of the rich, right? But, but where are they living? Where are, the, yeah. where are the artists loft to go with the artists' yeah. retail spaces, right? That's like, the show, right? That's the that's the pure aesthetics, right? Like, right, yeah. that's where this is just like, this is going to be the worst, most failed gentrification arc of all time, you know? <laughs> Like this is a band aid. This isn't like there's no there's no money looking to come in. I, I don't know. Look, anything could turn around here, but this won't have anything to do with it. I mean, yeah. God. Well, I mean, I think that gentrification aesthetics in general, like I think gentrification projects have gotten just more lazy now. I think and just more <laughs> phoned in. Like in the '90s, like there there was actually like you know cool ooh artist lofts. Like oh yeah, wow, this is like a specific you know, vibe. And there was like an era, you know, and let's say like Williamsburg in the nineties, for instance, where like, you know, it was actually considered kind of, you know, that first wave of gentrification, like they at least let that breathe for a little bit. I mean, I think now, Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's so many, like, you know, 
implied returns to get real estate um, returns so quickly now that they can't like let that phase breathe. So what you get yeah. is either like um, what we're describing in Seattle or you get Dime Square where New York Times <laughs> is writing fucking like um, basically just uh, astroturfing an art scene in yeah, there yeah. where there isn't even an art scene, right? Type just like gaslighting people. Yeah. 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 Meet the, meet the, whoa, the contrarian podcasters living in this neighborhood. And then they like build a fucking hotel, you know, like, but like the, that's <laughs> the, the charade though around dive square looks positively inspired yeah. compared to yeah. this though. I mean, that's the oh, thing. For sure. I mean, but I guess that's, that's the difference between New York they're city trying and Seattle. For a come up but, there. Yeah. They're trying to juice the real estate with yeah. that there. This is just, this is like for feeling for the city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. this is just like like for people walking their dogs, like just wanting to like have this hologram facade of like what the city actually yeah. is, right? It's, and just like so, have them feel good. It's a feel good city, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a good attitude city, too. <laughs> This is the Good Attitude program in Good Attitude City. It's <laughs> yeah. so Duff McKagan can feel good walking down the streets again. Uh, you know, it's it's all that. It's yeah. a make work program for commercial real estate downtown. Like they're just finding mm. stuff that isn't viable or valuable and just shoving it in there. Like it's make work. Yeah. And it's and the and the only product is going to be something for the mayor to say, like, look, we did it. Yeah, look yeah. at this bounce back. We really <laughs> look. We, we uh, did it to do some we, photo ops. Yeah, you know, look, uh, we can uh, we can do broken windows policing down here now because enough of the windows aren't broken to start with, right? Like because there's businesses and theoretically there's eyes on the street. Like they're trying to do this, but you can't even in your most cynical claim this anything like this is going to lead to vibrancy in the Richard Florida sense. You know, this is yeah. just going to, this is just the opposite of vacancy. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, where the fuck? Uh, pop-ups such as to Taswira, the first African streetwear store in the nation. <laughs> in the nation. Uh, I feel that's like what that's, they claim. Can't possibly be true, but also, uh, <laughs> I mean, are are there African streetwear brands that are being sold in Seattle? Maybe there are. I don't Hey, look, listeners, if you know, let us know. I will say, though, that, you know, between this African streetwear store and the previous business, uh, it's very reminiscent. uh, uh, The historian Cole Thrush has a book called Native Seattle about how once the Seattle had expelled all the Native Americans from the region, that's when they started putting up all the totem poles and bullshit. Yeah. Right? I'm talking about yeah. how much they oh, love yeah, their classic, Native heritage, right? Yeah, this, classic uh, conquered people's yeah. shit, you know? Yeah, this is just after breaking up the Central District, expelling the Black population. They're like, yeah, but now we can have, now that all the Blacks are gone, we can have the first African streetwear store in the nation. Again, yeah. I feel like that can't possibly it's be like true. The, but. It's like the Scottish after the Highland <laughs> clearances, man. That's when they all started wearing those fucking kilts and playing the yep. bagpipes. Um <laughs> Uh oh also Puddles Bakery which sells baked goods for dogs. I, I don't oh, know why yeah. we didn't predict this earlier that this was going to be nine, 90% of this is going to be baked goods for dogs for or dogs, like yeah. uh, there's dog spas dog where they like give your dog massages. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> or your dog can go and drink beer, you know. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> uh made up about 40% of the activated 
storefronts, according to the estimate from Porter, art installations such as Plumena Mushkavena and Chung Ing's Interactive Bubble Symphony. <laughs> oh, come on. You made that one up, man. It's like some onion No, 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 no. Made up the other 60% of city-funded storefronts. This just sounds Interactive like... Interactive Bubble Symphony, man. Come on. This it, is this some is, sort of... So it's, it's like Instagram spots, right? Yeah. Like this the is ice like cream a, museum oh, shit. Yeah, the Museum of Ice Cream. This is and like... like that you know, Walmart that's it. branded museum of ice cream. Yeah, no, this is an uh, entitlement program for conservative comedians, right? It's basically yes. like you know, yes. the, the, none of the jokes that they've had have made sense for decades. So let's let's just take one of let's take some idiot blue checks Twitter comment and just actually build it downtown. Yeah, Jones felt that Seattle Restored helped her help set her up for long term success. The program connected her with Google, which led her to opportunities to host black in tech events at her space. She has continued partnering with corporations to keep businesses afloat. Wow. Google black and tech events in her space. That is a lot of cell phone holsters and full size wraparound <laughs> Bluetooth earpieces in one place. Well, you know, uh, due to our, our location in the world or whatever, I feel like we know plenty of people in the tech industry and you get to learn that, Tech companies have all sorts of these kind of like events and kind of oh, like, yeah. I guess, groups or whatever in them. Right? Yeah. And I would love Employee to see resource groups is usually what they're called. Yeah. yeah. And I would love to see a chart of their successes, you know, uh, their retention. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. sure with their own, I'm sure they have metrics that they're meeting, Brian, if, if that answers your question. <laughs> metrics have been. I, I think we've also really like hit on the bit, the business model of mm -hmm. of inside it's to serve as an ev not an event space and programming and provide programming for shit like this for corporations to bring yeah like the the you know people of color various groups and organizations and trainings to come to a space that has pre programming you can select from uh, and pay big corporate money to be there is uh, is what yeah. they're doing there. They're not going to like give a uh, a space for like cool hotaps to to like do their thing, which would honestly be awesome. And that I would go downtown for that. Oh, oh my god, uh, that should be the downtown <laughs> revitalization. Is like an entire block of third should be given over to hoteps. <laughs> That'd be fucking kick ass. Their little own like you know autonomous region where they yeah, a like literal autonomous zone, a yeah. hotel autonomous if, zone. If, if, yeah. if they don't want you to walk down the street, you got to pick another block. You know, yeah, yeah. if they yell at you and say, "Why do you get off my block?" You have to get off the block. Yeah. <laughs> like legally, I bet I could get a. I bet I could get a pass. I could talk to any fucking weirdo. I could any any fucking crank. Like I can get on their level. I could get a. I could get a hoteps block pass no you know what you'd be you would basically be like the the hotep capo in a way where like because they usually ha they usually have like a token white person who like agrees with what they're saying and they're like see you know <laughs> i i mean sign me up yeah, yeah I'm there. Say, there's worse jobs in america uh one of which being working at any of the actual places going into this into these storefronts <laughs> i'd rather be the hotep capo this is gonna uh, i know one of these <laughs> one of these is gonna be like you know we should uh reach out to that orcas island couple one of whom does screen printing and the other making jewelry they're probably looking for a new space closer, oh shit that's right home. yeah that's right get some more artist space in here Listen, tiny house it. hunters man we need that <laughs> okay so um 
Yes, she has partner. She's continued partnering with corporations to keep her business afloat. Yeah, I mean, that's that is her business, I'm sure. Okay, skip it ahead. Unico, which leases five Seattle restored properties, declined to tell the stranger how they make the project pencil, but there's clearly other perks for the landlords. Hell yeah. Unicor director Jansel Jansen. General Jansen. General Jansen. Nope. Not, uh, not real. a real person. Uh, that's nope. like, I don't know, that could be old Ballard money. Um, said the program is compelling because, for one, it gives small businesses the opportunity to operate downtown, which, according to Porter, gives the property owner a sense of, quote, giving back to the community. <laughs> Jensen also said that filling storefronts gives a better feel and keeps negative activity away. So, like... Okay, they love. Oh, we love giving back to the community by renting our commercial real estate. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's why you're in the business. And like, that is again, it's the aesthetics. It's like they they've been told like, well, it's it's if we just have businesses in these spots, there won't be all these poor homeless people around. I think what they're gonna find out is like that's less true than they think. I mean, it's yeah. probably somewhat true. Yeah. Like. It is a better spot to hang out when no one's coming in and out the door or pissed off at you for disrupting their immediate business. But like, I I don't I don't know. Um, well, they're basically like, we need more uh, boots on the ground to like chase the homeless into the next district, right? Uh, forgetting like, that every district is chasing them from district to district. Well, and know? God knows, you know, we've never heard any uh, owners of existing operating storefronts complain about the homeless. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Because like just the biz a business being in operation scares them away. So that's why we've never heard that problem. You know, <laughs> that's why, you know, or else like, God, if that was a problem, certain city council members would have to have barricaded their business with eco blocks, you know. But if we're to take seriously that the troubles with downtown is the all the visible poverty, uh, instead of giving uh, money to a dog biscuit art installation, you could create services for the homeless downtown. You know, like that, that could have been what the money went to. And some oh, of these, Brian, then they'll come from all over America. Yeah. But then, yeah, it will incentivize everyone to come. And also then the storefronts would just look empty and sad. Yeah. yeah. And what, what's it without me walking my dog next to an empty storefront? Mm -hmm. I mean, who do we really help there at, yeah. at that point? For real. And your dog would not get gourmet dog food uh, while a actual living human being starves next door. I have to feed my dog Caesar, like canned fucking, uh, you know, dog food. Like you can only like heat up water all the time and like, you know, pour it in with their kibble in order to like make it seem semi gourmet. Like my dog deserves the best, man. And I don't I, know, like this hey. whole like housing thing is just mm, just rubs me the wrong way a little bit and especially rubs buster the wrong way <laughs> hey dogs should eat people food okay that's what's that's what they really need um mm -hmm. hey look it's doing great for what, all of us that's what they're <laughs> well, not like telling you people food like health 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 nut food like i eat okay well, maybe we could have the first dog michelin star restaurant down maybe that's what we should be aiming for get our eggs out of all these other baskets let's get it in the first michelin star dog restaurant 
see if we can make that happen. Yeah, but I it'd love be like, that. what's the Michelin equivalent of like who makes the leashes? You know, like <laughs> yeah, it, it needs to start a guidebook of dog parks. You know, so okay, Krieg helps us out by like getting someone in here to say like how much this sucks and how much it could be better. University of Washington professor of public policy and governance Jacob Bigder said commercial landlords are guaranteed to walk away with money in this situation, but we can only, quote, cross our fingers and hope there's something in it for the small businesses, too. If the city <laughs> wanted to support small business rental costs without paying landlords, then it could preserve current rates with commercial rent control. The Seattle Restored Program, which offers a flat rate for rent, essentially amounts to a rent control agreement between the city and the landlords willing to cooperate. But at the end of the day... DAP's primary goal is skipping ahead now. DAP's primary goal is to get more people downtown. As the director of OED, Markham McIntyre said, <laughs> Now they're made up. Markham McIntyre. Yeah, made no, up. Come on. Sin City ass fucking uh, uh, advisor right there. <laughs> said in the press conference earlier this month, when OED asked Seattleites what would bring them back to the city's commercial core, they asked for more small businesses and art, which is a very convenient answer when the city already runs a program to prop up the, of those sorts of places. <laughs> Maybe it's just all the idiots in this town can think of. Yep. With a record high of 104,000 people currently living downtown, calls to bring back people downtown carry hefty implications, according to Victor. Quote, implicit in these calls is the notion that the problem with downtown isn't that there are no people there, but that it's the wrong kind of people there. Oh, God damn it. I like this Victor guy. God, I hate this. <laughs> that... <laughs> The solution is to get more middle to upper class folks from the suburbs and single family neighborhoods back, Figder said in an email. But at least in theory, one could pursue a downtown vacancy reduction policy that prioritize the needs of people who are already there, which might be more like grocery stores than art gallery pop ups. Yeah, so some a voice of reason. Uh, dipping in to spoil our fun at making fun of the city because that is actually uh, correct. But uh, it's already put good taste in your mouth, Brian. I know you hate that. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled. Well, you know, you know, I hate to hear a pro you, I hate to hear the words "university professor" and he was right. <laughs> you know, afterwards, <laughs> like, like goddamn, you know, it. devastating. <laughs> Ooh, I, you you want me to make it worse? I skipped his credentials. Oh, come on. Don't tell me. No, no, it's not. It's not great. Okay. He's um. Okay. so well, I told you he's at the school of public policy over there. So it's, it's not like at the school of political science. OK, so you got to give him that. But yeah, already a plus two. And he's book. a Ph.D. in economics from Harvard. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. But, um, yeah. OK, so but, you know, but hey, listen, guys, guys. This is this is important stuff now. Uh so yeah, you know, that that was some good that was some good some good advice there, but I'm going to I'm going to wash that out of your mouth. Real pal cleanser here, man. That was the uh yeah, so we're going to go from the stranger then that was the setup. The the punchline is in the Seattle Times editorial page. They've got some thoughts on Bruce Harrell's Re rebirth, re re 
build, restart Seattle, whatever the shit it is. Uh, we're going to go over there, but we're going <laughs> to do that behind the old paywall, folks. So you want to uh, hear us uh, tear apart just savagely, uh, incisively, uh, you know, just three three men of letters, uh, you know, uh, tearing down the the hard work <laughs> of uh, some privileged fish men. <laughs> like, go go over to the Patreon, subscribe, check that out, uh, mm. and we'll be talking about some other stuff too. Yeah, yeah, All right. So after you hear yeah, about yeah, the yeah. rebirth on the Patreon, also stick with us on to Twitch uh, for our show, you know, after the show called Afterbirth. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, cut that so out. and then we'll, we'll yeah, 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 no, I'm leaving it in. And then we'll, uh, but we'll just continue this discussion here. So uh, if you do go on to Patreon, this will just be like this, you know, you'll have to go to this time in the episode and find the, the rest of it. Because this is about to end if you're listening on the, does this make sense yeah makes sense to me bonuses in the rest of the episode in a a more convoluted way and longer yeah (laughs) okay well anyway on to uh on to the fishman 